You're listening to Just FM, where a young entrepreneur, affectionately known in some circles as Ellie Cheesecakes, peeks into the bookshelves of successful entrepreneurs and remarkable thinkers, picks out thought-provoking non-fiction, and boils it down into 20-minute podcasts with the help of authors and voice actors. Rather than the end of books, this is meant to be a glimpse into great minds that will hopefully inspire you to read more. Or, let's be humble here, make your commute a little less boring. There are no ads, and all show notes with quotes and links from every episode are on gist.fm. Just listen. Discover the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone by Mark Goulston. Most workplaces have certain indelible characters that poison life for those around them. You've probably had to reckon with the chronic naysayer or the passive-aggressive, the constant blamer, the unapologetic whiner, the bickering teammates. You might call these people difficult. Perhaps impossible would be a more accurate way to put it. Either way, when you talk to them, there's just no getting through. It feels like hitting a brick wall again and again. No amount of logic, reasoning, persuasion, bribes and bargains, threats and pressure. Nothing seems to work. So what do you do? Dr. Mark Goulston looks at your predicament as a hostage crisis. You can't get free, he says. You're trapped in another person's resistance, fear, hostility, apathy, stubbornness, self-centeredness, or neediness, and by your own inability to take effective action. Dr. Goulston is a clinical psychiatrist. At one point, he noticed that the same techniques he used to mend broken marriages and help suicidal patients worked just as well in other realms, realms like hostage negotiations and poisonous workplaces. When he sat down to think about it, he realized that despite the vastly different contexts in which they occurred, social violence, personal squabbles, and workplace disputes have something in common. They are all about people trying to get through to one another in a stressful and highly emotional situation. Which means that at the bottom of all these seemingly different cases, you can find the same brain chemistry and emotional mechanisms at play. Over the past 30 years, Dr. Goulston has culled insights from both neuroscience and his own practice to teach FBI agents and Fortune 500 business leaders how to solve intractable people problems. In his experience, such problems often get out of hand when we apply too much pressure at precisely the wrong time. Think of a car going uphill. The more you upshift, the more the road resists you. You lose hold. The car slows down and sputters. But downshift, says Dr. Goulston, and you get control. It's like pulling the road to meet you. Something similar happens when we can't get people to do what we want them to do. We push harder, we argue, we shout, or we swing the other way, pleasing, pleading, cajoling. In short, we upshift, and the other person responds with even more resistance, lashing out, becoming defensive, shutting us out. A better way is to downshift, to stop talking and start listening, so you can discern the emotions under the seemingly crazy behavior. When you shift your focus down to the root cause, to the raw emotion, you create traction that pulls the other person towards you, and that's when you can get through to them. We've all experienced the power of emotions, of course, but it's still easy to overlook it. It's fuzzy ground. But if you look at the science of what goes on inside the brain when emotions run high, you begin to understand how moles turn into hills and conflicts escalate into crises. Imagine you could peek under the hood at a cross-section of your brain. What you'd see right away is a curious oddity that helps explain why communication breaks down. 
Peering at your own gray matter, you'd notice that you have not one, but three brains laid on top of one another. There's the outer layer, the neocortex, which we usually think of as our brain. It's the most recent, most evolved part that controls our higher-order functions, all that intellectual brilliance and impeccable manners we like to show to the world. But there are two other, much older parts wrapped around each other below the neocortex. The reptilian, or lizard brain, which triggers our survival instincts and fear responses. And the mammalian brain, our emotional center, the seat of all feelings and moods, and also memory. The upshot of this arrangement, Dr. Goulston says, is a kind of Jekyll and Hyde situation, where one moment you are a perfectly reasonable human being, and the next you've turned into a cornered snake or hysterical rabbit. Because our neurology hasn't caught up with modern times, our lizard brain sees potential threats everywhere, and when it does, it flicks a switch that diverts resources away from our brain and into our limbs to prepare us for fight or flight. Our ability to think and reason is switched off. This means that if you are talking to someone and this person is in the grip of a powerful emotion, they literally cannot process your message. They are not thinking, they are acting on raw emotion and base impulses. The best thing to do in this situation is to recognize that and to somehow move people from lizard or mammalian brain back to human brain before you deliver your message. Here are three ways to do exactly that. Number one, make the person feel felt. Look around your office, Dr. Goulston says, and you'll probably see at least a couple of smart, high-achieving people who can't stand to be in the same room with each other. If you're in sales or customer service, think about the clients who seem more interested in making you feel miserable than in getting service. In each case, look behind the facade and you'll probably spot a failure to feel felt. It's hard-coded into our DNA, this need to feel understood or felt by others. And when it's not met, people act out. Rage, resistance, and even more mysterious afflictions like procrastination and underperformance at work are often just a way of saying, I'm having a hard time and nobody gives a damn. And then we proceed to do precisely the wrong thing. We tell the other person, oh, you are overreacting, or stop acting like a drama queen, or... Okay, let's calm down here. And what's the message we are sending? That we're not taking them seriously, that their problems are silly and don't matter to us. And so to the other person, we are just like everybody else. Why should they listen to us, let alone do what we want them to do? The key, counterintuitively, is to show that you empathize by acknowledging their negative emotions. Empathy doesn't mean that you have to approve of their behavior. It only means that you can put yourself in their shoes and understand where their anger or fear or frustration is coming from. Then you mirror it back to them so they feel felt. Here's a classic technique adapted from hostage negotiations that show how this can work in practice. First, attach an emotion to what you think the other person is feeling. For example, frustrated angry, afraid. Then, when you have a chance to talk in private, say, I'm trying to get a sense of what you're feeling, and I think it's frustration, or anger, or fear. Or say, I'll bet you feel there's no way you're going to be able to do what I'm asking you to do. Isn't that true? Then wait for the person to agree, or to correct you. Keep doing this until you go over all the emotions you think are playing out. For example, you can follow up with, and I'll bet you're hesitant to tell me straight out that you can't get it done. Isn't that also true? This does two things. A. 
you show that you've put yourself in their shoes, and B, you get them to say yes repeatedly, which creates a positive momentum, a cascade of yeses. Then dig deeper. Ask them how frustrated are you, or, and the reason you're so frustrated is because. Then sit back and listen. Don't interrupt. Even if you don't like what comes out, even if it stretches the truth so much that you have to jump in and set the record straight, don't. Remember, this is just another person's subjective experience of the situation. You don't need to agree with their story. You just need to hear it out. Think about saving the relationship versus winning the argument. Finally, ask the other person to suggest a solution. Here are three good questions to ask. Tell me, what needs to happen for that to get better? What part can I play in making that happen? What part can you play in making that happen? Sometimes you may need to mediate between two people who are set on blaming each other and winning at any costs. You can turn the situation around by shifting each person from anger to empathy. Anger and empathy, Dr. Goulston says, like matter and antimatter, can't exist at the same place at the same time. Let one in and you have to let the other one go. If that feels a bit fuzzy, here's a practical example. Say you run a software team and your latest product release is behind schedule. Kim, the product manager, blames Simon, the designer, for wasting time on worthless features, and Simon blames Kim for setting unrealistic targets. They can barely look at each other, and it's up to you to fix the mess and get the project back on track. Here's how Dr. Goulston suggests you play your cards. You say, Okay, before we talk about what's going on with the release, I'd like to do something first. I know that both of you are extraordinarily good at what you do. You're two of the strongest performers I've ever worked with, and I also know that it's very hard for you to work together. So, I'd like to ask each of you a question to see if you can make the situation work better for the both of you. Kim, if I were to ask Simon what frustrates him most about working with you, what would he say? Um, well, uh, I think he might say that I don't respect his talent, or that I'm more interested in setting deadlines than in making the product as good as it could be. So, what does that make him want to do? He gets mad because... Look, I know he's really interested in making the product the best one on the market, and he can't. And I understand that. I really do. But the company doesn't work that way. Thanks. I appreciate that. Simon, if I were to ask Kim what frustrates her most about working with you, what would she say? Well, um, okay. I think she'd say that upper management expects her to meet deadlines, and she gets blamed if we're late because I spend too much time adding stuff that management didn't ask for. And I really do understand that. I mean, to me, it's wrong to send out a product that's not as good as it could be. But I can see how that's a problem for Kim. And how does that make her feel? Yeah, probably scared that they'll can her. Or mad at me for screwing things up for her. Hmm. Thanks for answering that so honestly. Now, I know that for right now, we want to focus on getting this release done as quickly as we can. So let's work out a schedule to see if we can still meet the target date. But would you two be willing to meet afterward and see if there's a way we can get Simon's goal of making the best possible product to mesh better with Kim's need to meet our targets? Because I'm confident that you can come up with some good solutions together. Now, Kim and Simon have stopped demonizing each other. They've reached some common ground and they can build out from there. Your job is done. Don't try to suggest solutions. Don't offer your own opinions. Just let them work it out on their own. Here's Dr. Goulston. Your goal is to get two people to mirror each other, and they can't do that if you're standing between them. So facilitate, but don't butt in. 
Number two, make them feel valuable. This strategy works best for whiners and chronic naysayers whose sole pleasure in life seems to be to go around spreading doom and gloom. Making them feel felt isn't enough. Here's Dr. Goulston. One thing most of these high-maintenance, easy-to-upset, difficult-to-please people have in common is that they feel as if the world isn't treating them well enough. In essence, they don't feel important or special enough in the world, usually because their awful personality has gotten in the way of success. They're starving for attention, and if they can't find a good way to achieve the sense of importance they crave, they'll look for a bad way. In short, these people are driving you crazy for a simple reason. They need to matter. Want them to stop driving you crazy? Then you'll need to satisfy that need. Here are two practical examples of doing this. Say one of your employees, Anita, likes to barge into your office and vent about some minor thing that apparently ruined her day. You know full well that her gripes aren't real. She just likes to unload on innocent bystanders. You can politely tell her to go away, but that will only make her more frustrated and you'll have a ticking time bomb on your hands. Or you can listen to her, waste your time, and lose your sanity. But there's a third option. Next time she comes around, say to her, Anita, what you're saying is too important and I want to give you my full attention, which I can't right now because I'm in the middle of something that I've got to finish. So what I'd like you to do is come back in two hours when I will have five minutes to give you my full attention and then I can help you with what's on your mind. But in the meantime, think of what you want to tell me, what you'd like me to do, and whether it's possible given the reality of our company. Also, think about whether it's fair to everyone it affects and whether it's in line with what we're trying to accomplish. Figure those out, and I'll be happy to help make it happen. This technique works for two reasons. One, you give Anita the attention she craves. And two, you neutralize her by asking her to come back to you only when she has specific solutions to her problem, which she won't because she never had a real problem in the first place. Here's another technique. This one is best reserved for situations where you have an authority over another person. Imagine, Dr. Goulston says, that your sales rep, Bill, bursts into your office and goes, What do I gotta do to get a frickin' purchase order okayed around here? All the frickin' people here don't know what the f*** they're doing. They're all imbeciles and they're all incompetent. You say in a very calm, serious tone, Do you really believe that? Believe what? Do you really believe that absolutely everyone who works here doesn't know what they're doing and that they're all, each and every one, imbeciles and incompetent? Are you saying that there's not one single person who works here who knows what they're doing? <sighs> well, not absolutely everyone is incompetent, but it really is difficult to get things when you need them. No, I mean it, Bill. If every single person who works here is incompetent, we have some very big problems, and I'm going to need your help rooting them out and solving them. No, come on, you know, I was just really pissed off. Not everyone is incompetent. I understand you were pissed off, but I really need your help to solve this problem. When do you think we could do that? No, really, I'm too busy. I was frustrated in getting things off my chest. Here's what happened here. Bill is venting. It's obvious that he doesn't literally mean what he says, but when you take his claims at face value and ask him to stand behind them, you stop his venting dead in its tracks. You make him realize that he's blowing things out of proportion and you won't have it. The key to pull this off, though, is to make sure that your tone is calm and serious, or he may feel attacked and bite back. And finally, the third principle of handling difficult conversations is... Number three, help people exhale. You can break through frustration by making people feel felt, and you can handle chronic whiners by making them feel important. 
but these techniques won't work on someone who is extremely angry or upset. The first thing to do is give the other person breathing room to let the emotion out of their system. In Dr. Goulston's words, only exhaling enables people to experience and express their feelings, like draining a wound, in a way that doesn't attack others or themselves. It's the only response that relaxes stressed-out individuals and opens their mind to solutions from other people. Here's how to do this in practice. First, let the person vent and don't interrupt. Don't object. Don't argue with their experience. Don't defend yourself. Don't casually jump in to set the record straight. The point here is to let the other get it all out, to drain the wound. So try not to cut the process short. As they unload more and more, they'll begin to calm down. They'll also feel exhausted. It might seem like the perfect time to take your turn and speak, but it's not. This is not to be confused with a relaxed state, Dr. Goulston says. The difference between exhausted and relaxed is that when you're exhausted, you feel empty and tired and you're not open to input. Talking right now is the rookie mistake that most people make. If you start to talk now, the other person will close down because he's too exhausted to listen. What you should do instead is encourage the person to go deeper, say, hmm, in a tell me more sort of way, and just listen. This is hard. It goes counter to our intuition. If someone is shelling insults at you, how can you not talk back, not defend yourself, not show them your own creative capacity for verbal abuse? But what if you pause at that moment and remember that it may not be you the other person is mad at, but the world for not treating them the way they want to be treated? What if you remember that it may not, in fact, be the other person who is screaming at you, but their evil emotional twin? Maybe then you can catch yourself and just listen. Maybe you can stop banging on the brick wall and just let it melt away on its own. If you liked what you heard, jot us a few words in the reviews section of iTunes. We're a new kid on the wire, and a little bit of love makes a really big difference. If you'd like to get the show notes, or to sign up for previews of episodes and full transcripts, go to gist.fm. It's all there. Thanks for listening.